Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Hey Chris, how are you, man? I am doing well. I'm sitting at my desk, I'm looking out my window into my backyard, and do you know what I see? Tell me what you see. I see a trampoline. Mm. I mm. did not think that we, we could get one. After. Much sought after in Corona Tide. They, they are, for those who are my friends on Facebook, uh, you saw that I was, I was like asking, does anyone have a secret method, uh, some some method of getting a trampoline? Because to to purchase a brand new one is is nigh impossible. I think there's great demand for it, uh, especially you know in March and April when when you can't go anywhere. Uh, there's you know nothing's open. We're we're so- socially distancing. How do we get our kids to exercise, and how do we get them to get their energy out of of their system? And three times we tried to purchase one. Uh, the, the retailer we were working with would take our order and then cancel it a month later, and then uh, raise the price three hundred bucks. And so three, three times. <laughs> Uh, so twice we endured a, a, a price hike uh, only for them to just cancel the order since it was it was sort of wishful thinking. I don't think they actually had a trampoline to sell us, but they're like, if we get our hands on one, we'll definitely deliver it to you for this amount of money. Oh, never mind. Uh, this amount of money plus $300. So, uh, it, so someone saw that post and uh, was... I'm not one to to scroll through Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, but someone found one on Facebook Marketplace. Now, here's the thing, Kirk. It's a seller's market. Sure. Uh, so we got one that is one of the most expensive ones out there, and we paid about 90% of retail, 80 to 90%. I haven't actually done the math. We paid pretty close to retail for a four-year-old trampoline that we had to travel to their home and disassemble it and then bring it here and reassemble it. And a trampoline that has been together for four years is not easy to take apart or to put together. Were you able to fit it in the van? Did you have to borrow a truck? We were, we were able to to fit it in the van once it was taken apart, but uh, it, it said it would take two hours to take apart about 20 minutes in. We're like, ah, nah, this is going to take like 40 minutes. And in the second hour of us taking it apart, at various times, we would stop, and Meg would look at me, and she would say, "Should we? What did she say? Uh, call in an SOS?" <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> "Who are we going to call? Like, what? That just it was just physically difficult. Like pieces that were supposed to come apart were stuck in place. Uh, we had to really improvise, and several things things just wouldn't come out that have been in place for four years that instructions said to to, to take out. And and my my soft 
priestly hands, my soft, soft hands <laughs> are blistered up from and and the, the muscles you have to use to, to detach. It's, it's a spring furry trampoline. So instead of springs, there are these rods and uh, that are really stuck in, in, in place because like there's all this tension in there. Uh, thankfully, uh, the next day as we were assembling it, we got came to a point where I could do it no more between my blisters on my hands and just those muscles being, being totally spent. Uh, a, a dear friend of ours uh, was over here already. He's an electrician helping us with one other project. And uh, he just went out and just boom, 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 uh, connected it. So we are thrilled to have uh, the kids have spent hours on it already. Uh, it, it's a wonderful addition to our backyard. So, uh, so what day was it finally assembled? Monday. Monday. Okay. So you've had it a couple days. Is mm-hmm. it, has it been, uh, is it still in its honeymoon phase? Has it been used a lot? So much. Kirk. It's been used a lot. So we'll see, like I said in an earlier episode, the kids tend to drop things like a bad habit. Right. But, right. But cycle it's, through. yeah, it's in its honeymoon phase hours a day. That's fantastic. Um, the beautiful thing about a trampoline and, uh, and we know this because we have neighbors who have one is you can tell the kids just go outside. You may not come back until dinner time. And even if they've kind of gotten bored with everything else, they don't feel like shooting baskets. They don't feel like playing catch. They don't feel like throwing the Frisbee. They don't feel like playing in the sandbox. Da, 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 da. Um, they will they'll just lay on the trampoline and talk yeah. with friends. Yeah. They'll just, just lie on it. Mindlessly or, or it's raining. Right. They'll, they'll bring out towels or umbrellas and just hang out there. It's, it's like a fort. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we on on our side of things have been experiencing uh this uh um kind of market, I don't know if you call it a market failure. Uh this dearth of backyard recreational equipment. Yes. Um, yeah. You mentioned it's impossible to find uh trampolines because everybody's trying to find ways to entertain their family at home in quarantine. And my wife is panicking um about pools because uh, she thinks that all the swimming pools are going to be closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I, I have some renewed optimism from a conversation last night that we're, uh, we're 15 minutes from the Ohio border here in Western Pennsylvania and a, in a nearby pool in a nearby Ohio town, I hear will be opening up this summer. We'll nice. we'll see. I haven't, I haven't actually told Kim this yet. So this may be happy news to her. It's just a rumor. Kirk. Yes. So you're telling me that those commercials about Ohio will come true (laughs) they finally have come true are those still are those still on in some capacity i mean i don't watch pittsburgh centered network television so it's hard to say yeah Uh, so 12 to 15 uh, years ago uh (laughs) there would be these commercials for ohio tourism and the premise (laughs) was that i get there is a is it jago lake is that a big Apparently there are a lot of water parks in Ohio and that's what they were advertising because these commercials would have someone like drinking from a water fountain and then suddenly just putting their whole face in there and just like rubbing it all over, getting water all over their face. And then someone would be like, Hey, we're not in Ohio anymore or something. (laughs) That's my memory of, of the commercial. Uh, the, the other one I remembered was someone turning something that was decidedly not a slip and slide into a slip and slide. And they're like, we're not, is it, it probably wasn't, we're not in Ohio anymore. What, what was the tagline? 
I think I think it was, if not that, something very similar. Okay. There was another series of commercials, a separate year, so a different season, where the um the tag was uh uh what was um the tag was wait you've been in Ohio again haven't you <laughs> <laughs> like they would come back tanned and in a Bermuda shirt and just yeah. kind of with a glow in their face and a bounce in their step um someone would walk in the door and everyone else was kind of sullen and um you know sitting around and someone would walk in you know wearing party attire or outdoor right. attire which like is, he had been in like he had been in like the florida keys or something. right right and which was just hilarious to us because like that's not how we think of ohio as this sunshine and and water place <laughs> yeah it's i don't i don't i'm not like oh where, where should we go on our cruise uh you know jamaica uh, mexico bahamas or you know lake erie Ohio's great virtue, and this is what it's trying to run away from, like like all the great Midwestern states, is its bland reliability, right? Like you don't have Florida man in Ohio because <laughs> Ohio like is Midwestern nice. Um, you got you got farmers, you got some industrial centers, um, and so uh, they're just like dependably lukewarm, right? You know, Florida's great because it's got Disney World and beaches, and it's also psychotic because it's got gators and Florida Man and uh, uh, what's that, Gator King or whatever that ridiculous Netflix show that I didn't watch was. So, yeah, no. It's got Carol Carol Baskin, yes. Yes. (laughs) Who definitely killed her husband. (laughs) So so what's going on in Pennsylvania? Kirk, what's going on in Pennsylvania? Yeah, so um, my wife wants a pool. She wants a pool. And she's been running into the same thing that you've been running into. Well, she's fighting a two-front war right now. She is like uh, the Kaiser in 1917. Uh, the one front is against market, uh, uh, just the lack of available pools. And then the other front is is me. <laughs> I'm grouchy uh, about two different things. I'm grouchy about the ex- uh, potential expenditure. And I'm also grouchy about um, what it'll do to the backyard, which already is a disaster for good reason. Um, I always tell our kids the front yard is for looks, the backyard is for play. So I, I treat the front yard, I mow it um, very spe- in specific ways so that it looks like the uh, the center field of a baseball stadium. Very nice. Um, the point is it should look nice, not be played upon. And then the backyard we just rip to shreds. Uh, we play everything in the backyard, baseball, football, soccer, frisbee. We like have fires we set up tents and kill the grass that way we just kill the grass in like four different ways but yet the idea to me of having just just giving up you know i don't know 40 square feet to just be dead because we put up a pool in the summer of 2020 i don't know man and and even as i say this right now it's it's sounding fickle to me but if if she finds one i i will likely relent because are they are they they available that's the problem. Um, so, so right now, actually, what, what we have coming from Amazon is the kind of pool that you put up in your backyard the last several years to slide into. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not awesome. It's basically the size of a hot tub, but it's a pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so on 90 degree days, it'll be, you know, water that we can be in. Yeah. So that uh, Kim's thought is that's better than nothing. But what we have done, what we have been able to do in the absence of a, of a pool is our kids are in in the phase of their childhood where they think camping in the backyard is super cool, and um, 
And so we, I, I sent you pictures. We, we put up the tent, uh, this weekend and, um, and, uh, shortly after I sent you those pictures, uh, we let, let the dog out. Kim, Kim was nervous about Daphne sleeping in the tent and she thought to herself, I know the dog will sleep with them to protect. Um, sort of like Peter, the Peter Pan theory, right? Where the dog is the nurse <laughs> protecting the children. Uh, from from strangers, um, but but Iris was so she was initially very nervous and weird about the tent. We had to lure her in with treats. Her body language was very strange, and she's a bright, brave girl. So that was very odd. Um, and then the and and uh, and and that night just played out strange. Um, two kids came in because they said they heard gunshots. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they saw lights and they heard gunshots. And so they didn't want to be involved in a gunfight in our backyard or something. Um, and Bryden and Daphne stayed out and Bryden said it was, where is their sense of adventure? Motorcycle backfiring. Right. So exactly. So the next night they're, they're like, okay, we're going to, uh, Simon and George were the, were the cowards who came in. They said, uh, we're, we're going to do this. We can brave the night. And, um, and uh, as we as we were getting Iris in the tent, we had been at this would have been Monday night um, because we had been at my in laws having having a, a responsible outdoor distance picnic there, um, and we had come back and Iris had been in her ca- her uh, her crate. <laughs> I always say cage and then I have to quickly correct myself as my wife corrects me. She had been in her crate, not her cage. That's it. Only that looks that like is her. such a ridiculous semantic <laughs> difference. I mean, it's a cage. <laughs> It's a cage. It's a cage. It's a cage. All right. So, um, and anytime dog owners, if you've, if you have dogs, when you let them out of their crate, there's about three minutes of pure, um, ecstasy where they sprint back and forth and like they jump on stuff and they, they, they don't even know what to do with their joy and elation, um, at seeing you again and at being released. And it's all very dog. So we let her outside and she's still doing that. And she, for reasons that only make sense in her clouded dog consciousness, took this Olympian, like in slow motion, this Olympian leap at the tent <laughs> and, and burst through it. She ripped a hole in the tent oh, like no. three feet up. <laughs> oh, my. So uh, the kids are despondent. I'm grouchy about it. Iris can tell she did a bad thing and she's got really penitential dog body language where she's down on the ground submitting to me. And it's just very strange. And so, all right, kids, get your stuff, bring your stuff all in. And in, in there bringing their stuff in, they left the tent open. And so overnight (laughs) cat peed in it, (laughs) neighborhood cat peed in it. So, We've got to, I've got to, I've got to finish repairing the tent. Last night I treated it with nature's miracle. It's, it's this, um, this compound that's supposed to counteract uh, cat urine. If you've ever been around cat urine, it, it seems like it's almost impossible to eliminate. So we've had like a double whammy in our tent and every summer I've been hoping this will be the summer that I'll take our kids to a state park or two and we'll camp. But so far they've only ever camped in our backyard. So that is, that's what's going on, going on here. Last night, the tent spent um, it spent the night in our driveway. We we're, we're like those trailer park people who are just leaving up our tent randomly in our driveway so that I, the nature's miracle that I had, uh, sprinkled on the, the tent floor could dry out. 
uh, so so I'll now that it's dry, I'll put it away. And um, evidently, there's something called tent tape um, that uh, Kim's going to order, and we're going to okay. we're going to tape it up, and we'll see. Yeah, I'm we'll sure see, there. Man. I'm sure there are plenty of remedies for uh, fixing Iris's damage. Is the easy part. Let's say that. <laughs> I I hope so. I hope so. Shall we move on to the gospel? Let's do it. This week's gospel, uh, this is uh, Pentecost, and this week's gospel reading uh, should be familiar to you because it's a portion of one that we had a few weeks ago, I think on the fifth Sunday after Easter, fifth Sunday of of Easter, Um, and the gospel is John chapter 14, verses 8 through 17. So we did, I think, 8 through 11. This is 8 through 17. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here ends the reading. So this gospel, like I said, is familiar because we read this gospel just a few weeks ago on what I believe was maybe the fifth Sunday after after Easter. And I think we went through verse 13 or 14, so almost this entire reading. And just two things I want to highlight here. Uh, one is Jesus' teaching here that that uh, of his unity with the Father. This is a teaching on the Trinity, and it's amazing how, uh, how much wisdom there is in these scriptures and these themes being linked together in this season how Jesus died, he was raised, he spent 40 days with the disciples, he ascended to heaven. And this John 14, remember, if you remember verse 1 starts, let not your hearts be troubled. This is on the Last Supper. He is assuring his disciples. He he said, I'm going to go away, but it's going to be okay. Don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to send a helper to be with you. And as we remember from last week with, with the ascension, that when he ascended, it is not him leaving. It is not 
Christ's presence being absent, but his increased presence. And that is because of the Trinity, because uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are, are of, of one being and one substance. We believe in one God, three persons. And that when the Helper is sent, um, this is, it, it's, it's good that Christ has gone away because he is not absent from us. And so, so this is all part of the same teaching. It's a big thing, but it's, it's a big thing to sink our teeth into, but it's, it's tremendously comforting uh, knowing this work that God is doing. And uh, in verse 17, it ends, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So there's, there's this promise of, of this increased presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them uh, that we see. And again, next Sunday's Trinity Sunday, we'll say a lot about this, but in 1 Corinthians 3.16, uh, Paul reminds the Corinthian believers, he said, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Uh, this, 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 uh, I mean, this is part of a reading where he's talking about um, this temple and, and this holiness and, and, and what, what it means that our bodies are important. So he's speaking against a low view of the, of, of the body, this Gnosticism. And I believe that's part of a passage where he's like, you actually have to be careful what you do with your bodies. No, you cannot have sex with prostitutes because, uh, because you're, you become one flesh with them. It, it does matter what you do with it. Uh, but but uh, he also, as part of this teaching, is like, don't you know that God's spirit dwells within you, which is a tremendous promise. And Paul has a lot of other teachings on the Holy Spirit as well. So that I just want uh, to offer some abbreviated commentary, hand it to you, Kirk, so we can uh, move on uh, to, to theology a little quicker today. Yeah, uh, we've had this uh, portion of this reading previously in Eastertide. Um, I, as I mentioned in a previous week, um, a lot of these uh, these upper room discourse texts from John, um, John 14, 15, 16, 17, um, used to be real impenetrable thickets. I and you and you and me and I and the Father and I will send the Holy Spirit and the vine and the branches. And um, only now I feel are they really revealing themselves to me and they're so lovely and I love them. And uh, so I've been really, um, they've been kind of, in my mind and in my heart, this Easter tide, and I've been really grateful for them. So the only additional thing to say about this uh, this passage here is verses fifteen uh, through seventeen, um, which I think is why it's included um, for it's the gospel reading for Pentecost, right? It's John's promise of the Holy Spirit. Um, well, John's account of Jesus's promise of the Holy Spirit, um, which he promises as well in John twenty when he shows up. Uh, in the upper room later, he breathe, breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, another sort of proto-Pentecost. Um, but here he says, um, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Um, and I, I, I love this as well because um, in, in English church music, uh, one of the great Pentecost anthems is uh, this setting by Thomas Tallis. Um, and I'll make sure that we have it in the show. Yeah. Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Uh, and, and perhaps you, I, I don't know if we want to touch on it uh, now or later, um, comforter, which is, um, I think English translations have, have, have tried sort of in vain to capture mm -hmm. the full sense of the Greek word paraclete. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, I don't know if you want to touch on that now or, or later, or should we just kind of leave that because there's so much to touch upon. But um, I, I do love the word comforter, and um, we'll get into all the things that uh, the Holy Spirit's um, role in our life. Um, but, uh, but I do love that anthem, and uh, I sent to you yesterday and this new acapella app that everyone's using. Um, on this new acapella app, I, uh, I recorded myself singing four different parts, bass, tenor, alto, and soprano, um, singing If You Love Me. And um, uh, I, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it. Um, I feel like I nailed the tenor and the alto, but I'm, I'm not a good bass nor a good soprano. But <laughs> maybe I'll leave a, li- leave a link to it in the, um, on our Facebook I, discussion. I group. appreciate your soprano. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I need need to work on the upper end range, but yeah. Anyhow, um, let's uh, let's move on to our theology segment so we can really do uh, a deep, fruitful dive into Pentecost. All right, for our theology segment today, uh, we want to talk about um, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Christopher, what is Pentecost? That's a good question, Kirk. And that relates to the reading from Acts. Uh, So you asked, what is Pentecost? That's an interesting question because it was actually a Jewish feast, right? Yeah, celebrating what? Feast of Weeks. Uh, (laughs) Well, it doesn't matter as much uh, for us, does it? Uh, but, But it's... The Feast of Weeks. Um, it was a reason for fi- it was a reason for them all to be in Jerusalem. Yes, fifty days after the Passover, there's this feast. So all these Jew- diaspora Jews that that live elsewhere in Phrygia and Pamphylia, they were in Jerusalem. And so in in the account of this comes from Acts chapter two, beginning at verse one. It says when the day of Pentecost arrived. So the Pentecost was already a thing. Um, it's interesting that we that we still call it Pentecost, although in the in the English tradition it's called Whit Sunday. Um, but when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Um, and this is, of course, because Jesus told them to go to, to wait, sit, wait in Jerusalem, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and and uh, so basically what happens is uh, the gathering filled with the Holy Spirit. They go out into the streets and they preach, and people heard it in their language. And Peter preached this great sermon, and uh, and many uh, believed. And of course, the sermon is 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 uh, it's directed toward Jews, uh, but it's interesting. Uh, this uh, is one of the few sermons that we see uh, in Scripture. But but he, he says, you know, this Jesus whom you crucified is was the Christ, and and so he he 
this this early gospel to Jews uh, was was uh, a teaching that the the Jesus that that they had heard about that that was crucified um, was of the fulfillment of of everything that God had promised um, to His people, and. So we have a lot in this theology segment to say about the Holy Spirit, and I think uh, the the best place to start is the Nicene Creed. This this faith statement that the Church has affirmed. Uh, what's great is 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 the undivided Church affirms. So every single Christian um, should be able to affirm these words. Um, and so there there are three main statements. Uh, I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. Uh, so the Father as as things about the Father. And the son, there's things about the son, um, saying who he is. Um, and when we get to the part of the, about the Holy Spirit, uh, the third statement, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father <clears throat> and the Son. <laughs> uh, there, there's uh, not controversy about the, uh, this part. Uh, it's called the filioque. But anyway, not all, not all Christians uh, would say, and the Son. Um, who so Eastern Christians would not, uh, Orthodox Christians, um, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, and I shouldn't have zoomed over that. Who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified? Who has spoken through the prophets? We believe in the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit is linked to the belief in one Church, capital C Church. We acknowledge. Yeah, I mean, you're singing my tune. You were singing my. <laughs> and, tune, and you mentioned yeah. this last week uh, uh, about um, uh, having a, a, a high ecc- ecclesiology, and I guess that's that's churchy word. I'll, I'll let you describe. Yeah, that. a low yeah. view of the church. Yeah, is, is a low, betrays a low view of the Holy Spirit. Right. Low yeah. view. Of, that's a better way of saying it. Low view of the church. So um, the things I want to highlight from the Nicene Creed are that are who with the Father and the Son are worshipped and glorified. This is the third person of the Trinity. We say God. We say Lord. We say Father. Um, we say a lot of things um, in prayer, in 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 worship, in song. Uh, we say a lot of things about the Father and to the Father, and, and same with the Son. We 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 praise the Son, we glorify His name, but the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is a person. It's not an it; it's a He. Uh, um, and we ought not to neglect the worship and glorification of Him, of the third person of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit. And I think we do, and I think there may be a lot of reasons for us neglecting and forgetting the third person of the Trinity. And I guess I want to dive into that yeah. a little bit. Uh, so the, the, this paraclete, this helper, this comforter is really useful in our lives. It is something that does a lot of things for us. He, he does a lot of things for us here. I, I even struggle with this language. Uh, he convicts us of our sin. Right. He builds us up in our faith. Um, the, the Spirit, uh, the Bible says, sustains us in faith and sanctifies us. Uh, there's all this, all this stuff that the Spirit does to help us and comfort us. But he is also a person of the Trinity, of the same substance of the Father and the Son. And, um, it, and he is not just a useful thing. So it's interesting. Anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, right away, oftentimes we're talking about the wrong thing because uh, we talk about uh, uh, 
spiritual gifts, right? Well, we'll, 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 we'll and we'll get in, and even spiritual gifts, we kind of get wrong. We, you know, do these inventories where we check these things, and we're like, ah, oh, we have these spiritual gifts. Um, rather than thinking of all the gifts we have that build up the church as being gifts from the Holy Spirit. So Paul has a very incomplete list um, in 1 Corinthians when he talks about, uh, what are the spiritual gifts? Um, let me see. I've, I've got um, it here. Wisdom. Wisdom, utterance of wisdom. knowledge, faith, okay. gifts of healing, uh, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And, and this all comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, that's a partial list. Uh, and um, obviously, as as Paul said at the end of that chapter, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Uh, so many things that build up the body, um, as he's describing one body with many members, um, that we can't look at any other part of the body. We, you know, the hand cannot say to the to the liver. Well, he doesn't say liver, but I'm saying that uh, you don't matter, or that's I'm great. Image. I'm more important than you. Uh, that's not something that we could do because the the Holy Spirit, uh, as the third person of the Trinity, is this wonderful thing that uh, person that gives us the presence of God and the presence of the son. And uh, I do want to talk about Holy communion. Uh, I, uh, but, but not yet. So I'm kind of <laughs> throwing a marker down so we can kind of come back to uh, Holy communion. But uh, yeah, but um, what I want to say now is, is I think we have uh, a reluctance uh, in reaction a reluctance to embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit and a reluctance to talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a reaction to um, maybe some of the excesses of, of people we see as uh, who identify self-identify as Pentecostals. And so I want to I want to draw a little distinction between um, Pentecostalism and and because I think all Christians should be charismatics. Um, so some people kind of uh, combine those terms or use them. Uh, they conflate them. They use them for the same thing. But, but I think all Christians should be charismatics, as in um, charism or gift of the Spirit. Uh, we believe in those things. We all do. We all should. Uh, that that the Holy Spirit, uh, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is is present with us now. And there is a a a part of Reformed Christianity that that sees itself as cessationist. That that looks to these signs and wonders in the book of acts these wonders and signs and it says that that was a special era in the church that the holy spirit no longer does that that the holy spirit ceased to to work in this way and they'll draw a line which i see as somewhat arbitrary either there some say after nicaea um you know once we kind of figured out this 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 creed that unites us and and tells us about the the, the trinity that that this, the spirit kind of works differently, that kind of receded, that it was here for this apostolic age when the, the faith was spreading. But uh, I've seen way too many testimonies, some even firsthand, of people who have witnessed powerful works of the spirit. And, and my theology of signs and wonders in, in the book of Acts, as we look at those, is each one was to show the power of God and each one grew the church. And um, that's why in, in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, we hear all these testimonies uh, because people, um, they, they aren't in, in these kind of post-enlightenment, post-modern cultures. And so they look to this power, the supernatural stuff. Yeah. And, and these miracles point to the God of the universe, the, 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 um, the living God. And here we work in kind of the scientific society and we don't seek it. 
Um, cause, uh, and I think we should, we should, we should pray for miraculous things so that we can testify. So we can say, can I tell you about the God who raises the dead, the God who, who heals the sick, who gives sight to the blind. Um, but again, there are, are people who abuse this and, and there are fraud. There's fraud. There are people with healing ministries who, uh, it's researched that they're lying about, um, this healing or they go too far about, um, this where they 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 try to use um, the Holy Spirit like the seven sons of Siva did in the book of Acts, where they use the the power of the name without believing in it. Um, and in the seven sons of Siva, it's great these these seven sons of Siva cast out a demon in the name of Jesus, and the demon comes out and he's like, uh, like these apostles, these people who have the Holy Spirit with them, them I know, P- Paul, Peter, or I don't remember who, who they refer to, the, him I know. Who are you? The demon right. say that to these guys, um, um, because the spirit is something that's that's dangerous to wield if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Because and and it says that 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 that, that this demon went after them, and uh, so so some of these men, like some of these healing ministries, even during the time of coronavirus, have have been guilty of 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 keeping their doors open and getting a lot of people sick because because they've been using it. Um, I would say inappropriately using it to make money. Um, uh, many of them are, are, are frauds, and I think the other the other kind of excesses of, of Pentecostalism, um, this this church movement that kind of started in, in the early 20th century with something called the Azusa Street Revival, where there was this kind of miraculous and strange um, presence of the Holy Spirit doing all kinds of crazy stuff in in Southern California, and and uh, out out of that flew, flowed this movement. And I, I think uh, I want to offer some some soft, um, some some gentle criticism of, of Pentecostals um, who emphasize the Holy Spirit from ten to eleven on Sunday mornings. That um, when they worship, when they sing, when they um, they they emphasize uh, the Holy Spirit's presence in the speaking of tongues, uh, and uh, rather than saying the Spirit is this person who influences all of life, who gives us all, who, who helps us and, and gives us all the things that we need for the mission of God, which is to be our, to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth, to the ends of the earth. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the spirit helps us with mission, with, uh, in accomplishing the mission of God. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit shows up on Sunday mornings. Yes, the Holy Spirit, you feel the Holy Spirit sometimes when you sing the Lord's uh, praises, you, you, but not only on uh, when the when the body is gathered together, that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, gives us discernment. It helps clarify Scripture, and and I know I've been talking for a long time, so I'll, I'll kind of wrap up with a, just a brief discussion of Holy Communion. That most Holy Communion liturgies have have two parts: that they have uh, something uh, called anamnesis and something called epiclesis, and those are Greek words. Mm-hmm. Anamnesis is memory. Um, so there's a retelling uh, often of really the meta narrative, God creating um, and, and, and then Jesus becoming incarnate, um, Jesus dying. But, but isn't it more than, more than retelling? Isn't it also reenactment? Doesn't yes. the word imply um, like a, like a in real time? Sure. Um, yes. It, reliving it. Yeah. So, so it's, it's again, when you, when you translate words to say memory or remember, uh, right. <laughs> they, they don't it's too impoverished of a word to, to fully uh, in, encompass that. And then of course the culmination of, of anamnesis of memory are the words of institution found in first Corinthians on the night that Jesus was betrayed. 
he took bread and broke it. And, and so the, that is the kind of the culmination of, of this mem- remembering part of liturgy. But then we have the second part. And I think in the East, they have the anamnesis first before the epiclesis. Um, but the epiclesis is a calling down of the Holy Spirit um, that, that, that the, uh, in our liturgy, that the body and that the bread and the wine may be for us the body and blood of Christ, and that and that we that, that we say the whole it's the Holy Spirit that does this because it's the Holy Spirit um, through the Holy Spirit that we um, in, encounter the presence of the Father and of the Son. So with that, uh, I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, that's so well put. Thank you, thank you for highlighting that because um, um, in. Uh, in that prayer of consecration at the uh, at the epiclesis, you do have this um, transfigured Trinitarian moment, right? Where by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, the body and blood of our Lord are present for us in the bread and the wine, um, and that is beautiful. Yeah, um, it's interesting. You miss you you mentioned um, the Holy Spirit. We we kind of are we we have a bunch of ruts that we get stuck into mm-hmm. when we kind of think about the Holy Spirit and and pray and worship. Um, and you mentioned, for example, um, the Holy Spirit uh, is is principally, as we see in in Acts too, um, is is principally with us for the purpose of mission. Um, and uh, the Old Testament reading for uh, for Pentecost Sunday is Genesis eleven, the Tower of Babel account, um, where you have uh, a disintegration of communication. Um, everything falls into compute, confusion and dispersion as a result of um, our, the punishment, our just punishment for our uh, um, attempting on our own merits to ascend to heaven. Um, and, on, and, and the day of Pentecost, you have um, the mirror image of that, the, the, the precise opposite of that. Mm-hmm. By the power of the Holy Spirit, um, you have confusion, the confusion of all the languages of the earth um, being undone. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit makes clear that which was unclear. Um, and that which was dispersed is unified and brought back together. So all the nations um, that every poor reader struggles with every Pentecost Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. From Phrygia and Pamphylia, et cetera, right? Um, that all of these are brought together by the power of the Spirit. So we see at the moment when the Holy Spirit dis- descends upon the church, um, which is just one room full of people at that point in wind and fire, um, it is for the purposes of mission, for the spreading of the gospel and the spreading of salvation through the through the uh, the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so the Holy Spirit, we we see at its first his first appearance, uh, is there to clarify and spread the gospel, mm-hmm. and imprint the gospel with wind and fire on the hearts of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's not doing that, we've kind of lost the plot. I keep saying it. That's terrible. It's, the Holy Spirit is a person, mm-hmm. um, not a not an entity on a shelf. If if uh, he's not doing that, we've lost the plot, or we're trying to shove him into some different corner. I think. Um, you mentioned uh, the the um, marks of the spirit in First First Corinthians twelve. Um, Saint Paul has another list in Galatians five, uh, the fruits of the spirit. Um, he writes to the church in Galatia, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have been cruci- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Um, so we see as well there, St. Paul is exhorting the Galatians to, um, to let the Holy Spirit crucify the flesh and uh, provide fertile soil for these, these um, fruits, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Um, and in fact, th- this was such an important list that um, at different times um, in English-speaking Christendom, um, these have been popular names, right? Joy, patience, um, faith. Right, um, we we have a lot less of that now, but but those are those are lovely names. I don't know if they'll ever make a comeback. I don't know if we'll see a lot of young patients running around the uh, playground anytime in the future. But but I love that. Um, there's also uh, um, a tradition in the church of looking at Isaiah 11 and seeing the gifts of the Spirit there. Um, and the first two verses of Isaiah 11 read: "There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit." right? Shall bear fruit. What fruit? Verse two. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Um, so we often look at that passage and look at um, gifts of the Spirit being wisdom, which we see first in the list as well in 1 Corinthians, right? Wisdom, understanding, again, that echoes 1 Corinthians, right? Counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. And St. Augustine, in his commentary on Isaiah, saw a tight link between this and the Beatitudes, um, which uh, I, I I love that. Of, of course, right, um, Scripture would call across to Scripture um, um, because it's true. It's all true. And um, so we see, for example, um, the fear of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, the gift of knowledge as a, as a fruit of the spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, so they, for they will be comforted. Right? When we have an increased awareness of our personal sin, um, we, are, we are given knowledge. Blessed are the meek, and that's piety. Um, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's fortitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's the gift of counsel. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. That's the gift of understanding. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's wisdom. Um, so, so I love that connection. Um, that uh, that's that's beautiful. And I think is that all I had written down. Um, I, I guess I would say one last thing. I um, sometimes get a little personally uh, squeamish, and I need to examine that um, in Christian conversations uh, around the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, um, because I've never spoken in tongues um, or have, have had kind of that very Pentecostal denominational kind of um, moment. Um, but yet in quieter ways, I, I have um, had miracles in my life. Um, our, our oldest son, um, was told by multiple, we were told multiple times um, when, when my wife was pregnant with him that uh, he was going to have Down syndrome. And um, I was going through the, all the process of grieving, kind of making sense of that. And of course, we were going to have him. That was never a question. And had that have happened, we would have loved him and he would have been a gift to us. Um, but a different path. Um, the Lord put, laid out a different path for us. Uh, this never happens, but but visiting our church was a retired bishop from Nova Scotia. 
And uh, and uh, somehow uh, during coffee hour after church, it the, he caught wind of this, and he said he said, um, "Come to the altar. I want to pray for for mm. you and your wife." Mm. And we came up. And uh, you, Christopher, I know you've been around um, people who pray with authority, um, that are that are that are marked by a particular power in the Holy Spirit. The way they pray, it's you know it when you see it if you've ever seen it. And he prayed, he prayed for Kim, and uh, the next uh, and and for our child. And the next uh, checkup we had, uh, the the particular marks that were being used to determine um, whether our child was uh, was likely to have Down syndrome. They were all gone. And um, wow. the doctor really kind of sputtered. Um, she had trouble explaining um, how, how all the indicators were gone. And my wife and I just squeezed each other's hands and our hearts were very full mm. as we knew that we had really experienced a miracle. So um, in our in our Western uh, enlightened scientific world right now, we're all looking rightly, understandably, for scientific answers to um, this panic that we have. Um, and, and God willing, science will step in and provide a vaccine and antibodies and, and all of that. And I'm not rebuking any of that. Um, but but there are more there is a more powerful master of the universe that is at work and that can heal. Mm-hmm. And um, and and we are like to, to borrow a metaphor that Jonah Goldberg always uses. I think with the Holy Spirit, we're like a drunk looking for his keys only where the light is shining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as Westerners. Um, we we have certain ways of thinking, and it never occurs to us to th- look for the Holy Spirit anywhere else. And He's there if we will just go. If we will just leave the lamplight on the street corner, right, looking for our key. Um, he is there in power and might, and in the, His full panoply of gifts. Mm. So, I guess that's um, that's what I have to say about that. Mm. Shall we move on to our final culture segment? Let's do the final culture segment. Christopher, you've been reading absurdist British fiction. No. What have you been reading? Not reading, watching. So Watching. I think the origin of this is I I read years ago, not even review, but uh, kind of a a brief article sharing three science fiction slash fantasy books and recommending them. And I sent that to you, Kirk, and and, and then totally forgot about it. I was like, oh, I faithfully plowed through all those things, man. (laughs) (laughs) And you did. And you got our mother to read them and or at least at least one of them. And she to say that she encouraged me to read this book is is to put it too lightly. Uh, She was she just thought, (laughs) thought it was so important that I read this book that she actually I think she took me to the library and checked like was like, okay, check this like and I'm like. 
because you know i'm like she's like you need to read this book i'm like yeah yeah i'm busy blah 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 whatever takes me to the library i come home with this book jonathan strange and mr norrell or i think in the tv show they call him yeah. norrell and <laughs> i i kind of slogged through the first 50 or 60 pages i wasn't sure what i was reading but what it is 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 absurdist uh it's it's like Jane Austen meets Douglas Adams almost. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, well put. Uh, and uh, I, I wrote down several quotes. For, okay, so anyway, this was, I don't know, four years ago. And I had heard that they had made it into a, a BBC series and hadn't gotten around to watching it. Well, I started watching it a few days ago. So I'm about four episodes in. It's on Netflix, and it's it's going to leave Netflix June 12th. Every time I go to watch it, it says you know, available until, till June 12th. So it will no longer be there, but it's, it's this, I wrote down some of just the absurd lines from, from, and by absurdist, I mean, it is so absurd that it's hilarious. And it's, it's, I don't know how you could watch this TV show without reading the book because it's bizarre enough having read the book. I mean, there's this <laughs> there's this servant in in a household, a faithful servant who, uh, when this Stephen magi- Black, Stephen, yep, Stephen Black, um, who <laughs> this uh, magician calls a fairy in to do this wonderful, uh, miraculous work of of reviving a dead woman, uh, but but he's uh, in doing so he didn't have the magic to do this in calling this fairy in. Uh, he uh, had to strike a bargain with this fairy and this, and this fairy is, uh, I guess the nature of fairies is that they are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not whimsical, a little bit more sinister than that, but uh, yeah. uh, so, yeah, so the bargain the is half of, of her life, which, which uh, laws of morality don't apply. So this magician assumes that half of her life means that she'll just die at a young age. And he's like, well, she's dead already. So if she dies in 20 years, that's fine. She's 20 years old. She dies at age 40, whatever. But, but what happens is this fairy whisks her off to his, um, while she sleeps, um, to where she has to dance all night at his, <laughs> which, which he <laughs> thinks is just wonderful. He's bringing her to a dance and she's like, it's dreadful. I have to dance all night. I wake up and I'm exhausted. And he falls in, this fairy falls in love with this servant and he's like, you're a servant, but I think you're a king. Look in the mirror. And he looks at the mirror and he's holding a scepter and a crown. And this servant's like, I don't want to be your king. And this servant comes like, has to work all day. And then he has to go dance all night at this stupid fairy castle. Um, and anytime that this, this woman who has been resurrected uh, tries to talk about it, there's like a, a curse on her so that she can't tell anyone about it. So anytime she tries to be like, hey, every night when I try to go to sleep and get rest, I'm whisked away to this other land and I have to dance all night. She says things like, in 1607, there was a silversmith named Redshaw who lived in the kingdom of Halifax, West Yorkshire, who inherited a Turkish rug. He woke to find the carpet covered in legions of tiny people about two inches high. They rode white polecats and were battling with knives and forks. I'm sorry, that is not what I meant to say. She, so she's like, it's just something, something very important I must tell you. And then she'll say something absurd like that. And then the person will, uh, so he told the Southern magician's wife. So the Southern magician's wife dutifully recited this absurd. It, that's the whole show. It's crazy. It's hilarious. I, bizarre. I don't understand how these people could watch this show. 
uh, unless they've read the book because it is like an acid trip even having read the book. So um, it, it's very, this magician goes to Spain and and just the the dialogue is so funny and and just reminds me of of just this whole. Uh, and I actually like this a lot better. Uh, Douglas Adams is someone who's very much appreciated uh, for his uh, absurdist literature that that uh, has a has a bit of a depressing nihilism in it. And I think I like this a little bit better because it doesn't have quite it's, it's not quite as much. There is some morality to it. I remember there was one part that really struck you that that there was this uh, ambitious, like sinfully ambitious person that kind of gets trapped by his own ambition. Do you remember that part of the book? That Lascelle or Drawlite? Well, I'm one of uh, kind of one of the Noralites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's funny that you link it to to Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I wouldn't have uh, that wouldn't have occurred to me, and if we've ever had that conversation, I've since forgot it. But I think there's something there. Um, Douglas Adams is a great British science fiction writer that um, perhaps was an, a great underachiever, kind of a constitutionally lazy guy. He once said of deadlines, I, uh, I have no problems with deadlines. I love the sound they make as they whoosh past me. Um, and I think he died young, but, but, he, but he did produce one great thing, and that is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy which he is one of those minds that has the ability to look at everything from a 90 degree angle. He's, he's obviously seeing the universe in a slightly diff, from a slightly different angle than the rest of us. And we are the better off for it. And this is something similar. So it's a comedy of manners in, in the, in the uh, sense, in the best sense, um, like Jane Austen. Um, uh, but yet this world is clearly animated by magic. Um, now sort of a Georgian 18th century enlightenment rationalism has papered over and covered over it. And we see that, that school of magic in Mr. Norrell. Um, uh, he, uh, he is sort of a, a rationalist and he thinks magic ought to be used. You, you ought to, what's the, ah, there's a great line um, uh, about how uh, he hardly ever spoke of magic. And when he did, it was like a history lesson and no one could bear to listen to him. Someone said this about Mr. Norrell, right? So the academic, the intellectualization of magic. And Jonathan Strange is, if Mr. Norrell is uh, Georgian Enlightenment rationalism, Jonathan Strange is wild uh, romanticism. Um, And he sort of represents, uh, in this book, the north of England, which is wild, romantic, and and the south around London, the home counties is... is, uh, um, clever, wealthy, rationalistic, and to the degree that there's magic at all, it's very, very controlled. And you write books about magic. You don't actually do much magic. And Mo- Mr. Norrell actually doesn't do much magic, does he? He does the one great miracle, uh, not miracle. He does the one great, uh, um, he has that event in York in Yorkminster, right? Where he summons summons everybody to Yorkminster and then the statues talk. And that's kind of it. He rides his, rides his, you kind of rests on those laurels, right? So there are a bunch of interesting themes. There's the there's the the contrast, and this cuts to the heart of human experience, right? Between the rational and the subrational, right? The ego and the id. Um, uh, there's also uh, the 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 magical past, the mythical past. Um, in in all of our, all of our stories, we have we have George slaying the dragon. Uh, our past is always. Uh, 
um, full of miracles and magic, and our our present always seems to be a, a, a rationalist desert landscape. And so you have the contrast between the rational and the magical. I guess the to tie in a bow to tie a bow on um, Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. Um, if you ever read it, um, you'll find it's got some pages are all footnotes, so it's this faux history as if the author has gone back and sifted through libraries of histories and is citing these um, fictitious books that are um, supposed to be histories of past England. So it's it's great. It, uh, it won the 2005 Hugo Award, um, which is for best science fiction novels, which is really a round peg in a square hole. It's not science fiction, but there was Hugo, Hugo Awards for fantasy slash science fiction. I don't know. I'm speaking about things I don't know about. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, on this day, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew, that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, Defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.